Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Great. Uh, my name is Bruce. I'm one of the ministry apprentices here. Uh, really just thankful to be at Old North uh, in this season of our life. Uh, thank you guys for supporting the MAPS program. Uh, it, is a, it is a blessing, and uh, we thank the Lord for that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Psalm uh, 3. Uh, it has eight verses. We'll read all of them, and then uh, we'll hear what God has to say for us. Let's read it together. Psalm 3 from verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke up again, for the Lord had sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Let's pray briefly. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you, Father, that your word is light. Lord, I, I pray for uh, your word to go out this morning to encourage your people. And, Father, to lead them to paths of righteousness. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to know you through your word. And I pray, Father, that we would see you and behold you even this morning, that you may be glorified in our hearts, but also in our lives. We thank you. We love you. Through your son's name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Psalm 3 records a number of firsts in the Bible. Uh, for one, it is the first psalm with a superscription. If you look in some of your Bibles right before verse 1, there is a superscription, those words you find above verse 1 that read, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. But also, this is the first psalm that identifies itself as a psalm. It, it's also the first psalm that states the occasion it was written. David writes this psalm as he flees from his son Absalom. Now, there are many other firsts about this psalm that I really won't go into this morning. But as one reads this psalm, we cannot miss the lament and the sorrow, especially at the beginning of it, as David, the king of Israel, sings the blues, pouring his heart out to the Lord. He laments. He passionately expresses grief and sorrow at the betrayal of his son and his people. Betrayal is not a nice thing. And we can feel it as we look at the first two verses that David responds in lament. And the very first thing that we see right off the gate is that deep betrayal leads to despondency and despair. Look at verses one and two with me. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? 
Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. The word many is repeated three times there. As he talks about his foes, his enemies, as he talks about those that are rising against him, and that they are saying there is no salvation for him in God. Now, the trouble for David starts a little bit earlier before this uh, uprising. His son, Amnon, uh, rapes his half-sister, Tamar, and in wanting to protect Tamar's dignity, Absalom decides to kill Amnon. And a couple years later, this same Absalom starts an insurrection against his father, David. Now, Absalom is a very charismatic man. The, the scriptures would say he was handsome, but he was also shrewd. For four years, he spends time at the city gates convincing people that he would be a better king than King David. And many people begin to join Absalom in this revolt, and David is subsequently forced to run into exile, and this is the moment that he writes this psalm. And I want us to think about this for a minute. This is the David, the king of the Jews, who was loved by everyone. They loved him. They spoke of Saul has killed a thousand, but David has killed 10,000. They loved him. They saw him killing Goliath, but not at this point. Many are my foes, he says. Many are my foes. We see that he has many people rising against him, and because of that, he becomes despondent and is filled with despair, right? We see that in verse 1. Perhaps you are here this morning, and for whatever reasons, you are also filled with despair. Maybe it's something going on in your own family. Maybe like David, you have been betrayed by those that you love the most. Maybe like David, you feel like many people are coming after you, rising against you, and I can only imagine the despondency that you feel as a result. It's a hard place to be. But also we see in verse 2 that he has many people saying that there is no hope for him in God. People are saying this guy is basically done. He is done. I don't know about you, but if someone is so hopeless that people look at them and say, even God can help you, man. That is as hopeless as it gets. People are saying of David, he has no hope in God. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 16, you can turn there if you'd like, but we'll follow on the screen. We see David as he's fleeing. He gets to a place called Baharim, and there he meets a man named Shimei, and Shimei begins to curse David, throwing stones and dirt at him and his people. Look at verses eight, uh, 5 to 8 of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 16. When King David came to Beharim, they, uh, they came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people, all the mighty men were on his right and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, get out, get out, 
you men of blood, you worthless men. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. And verse 13, so David and his men went on the road, while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. When someone goes through something bad, we usually say, maybe God can help you. But people are saying to David, not even God can help you. You are done. See, all the drama in David's family, the revolt against him by his own son, the personal sin when he commits adultery with Bathsheba and kills Uriah, her husband, all this drama led people to think that God had turned his back on David. And this only made sense, right, because Although David had repented of his sin, he still had to suffer the consequences of his sin. Remember, the Lord speaks through his prophet to David and he says, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. So as people are seeing Absalom rising against David, they are wise enough to know that this is indeed David suffering the consequences of his sin. And indeed it was. There is a warning here, friends. While God, in his goodness and in his grace, forgives us of our sins, there are still consequences that stem from them. There are consequences of our sin. Preachers of old tell the story of a young boy who was troublesome to his father, and the father promised that every time that he would be troublesome, he would take a nail and go to the barn and hit the nail on the, on the door of the barn. And after a while, the boy goes to the door and sees, man, so many nails on, on this door. I'm going to go to my father and repent and ask for forgiveness. And the little boy goes to his dad, and his dad says, son, I forgive you, I forgive you. I'm going to take out those nails. So he goes, removes all those nails. Later in the day, the young boy rushes to his dad, screaming, Dad, the nails are removed, but the holes remain. The nails are removed, but the holes remain because while God forgives us of our sin, there is consequences. Meaning, our actions and our words have consequences that we will suffer or the people around us would suffer perhaps for a long time. So people are looking at David and thinking there's no hope for him in God. But frankly, they are wrong. So instead of focusing on all that the people were saying or doing, David turns his attention on God as we too must. Look at verses three and four. David says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. So the second thing that we see here is that despair 
must lead us towards the right dependency. Now, in the midst of despair, we are not short of places to run to, right? We're not short of people to run to. We're not short of things to run to. Some of us probably perhaps seek it in our jobs. We work so hard, but it's not really for the sake of working. We're drowning ourselves in our work to numb ourselves from the conflict and the pain and the despair that is deep down in our souls. Some of us probably run to drink and food and overindulgence. Some of us probably shop and buy tons of things that we don't need to impress people that we don't like. But look at what David turns to. The first thing that David does is he reflects and remembers who the Lord was and what he has done. He says the Lord was his shield. The word translated shield here could just have been easily translated as a protector or a buckler. So this means that this is not just a covering for the chest. It was a covering for the whole being. Our temptation is to look at all the enemies around us, right? Oh, how many are my enemies around me? They are rising up against me. But David remembers that his God was his shield. In spite of all the opposition David faces, he looks to God and remembers that his God would protect him from his opposition. So friends, whether we have many enemies, whether we have few enemies, we have a shield in God to protect us from whatever it is. But he also remembers that God was his glory. Now as king, David had all the glory, all the splendor that he needed. Lived in the fancy palace, ate the fancy food, dressed in fancy gab, but it's gone, it's gone. The king has been dethroned. But what is important, even though he has been dethroned, is that his glory was not going to come from any of those things because God was his glory. I pray this morning, my brothers and sisters, that our biggest boast, our biggest glory, will be that we belong to the Most High God. There are so many great sub-identities that we have. We could be husbands, we could be wives, we could be fathers, we could be mothers, we could be grandparents. We could have our favorite team. We could have our favorite political party. But our, our glory, our biggest boast, comes from that we belong to the Most High God. Our self-identity and our self-worth comes from Him because all these other things are fecal. All these other things can be gone like that. So David is saying, I am somebody, not because I am king, because he's not king anymore, but because he belongs to God. Nations come and go. Sports teams come and go. 
but we are his forever. That cannot be taken from us. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians that we who are believers will share in Christ's glory. This is good news, friends. God is our glory. But also David remembers what the Lord has done, that the Lord has lifted up his head before. As David runs away from the Mount of Olives, he is uh, barefoot, right? His head is covered. He's filled with pain and agony, much like we would be when we go through hard times. So to lift up the head was a Hebrew expression of restoring someone who was cast down, restoring them to their position, restoring them in dignity. So by application, this simply means that God restores our joy. He restores our joy. He lifts us up. And I want you to notice that David acknowledges that God lifts up his head, although the threat was still imminent. Our joy is not predicated upon the situation changes. It's predicated upon the God whom we belong to who lifts up our head. But we see the next thing uh, David does in verse 4 is he cries out to the Lord. Right? Charles Spurgeon said, we need not fear a frowning world while we rejoice in a prayer hearing God. We don't need to be afraid. We rejoice in this God who answers prayer. Now to cry is to call, right? Is to make a loud sound. And we can clearly see from conversations around our table at home or around the hot cooler at the office or at your school or on social media that people are crying. is crying out loud. 2020 was a year of crying out loud. 2021 started off as a year to cry out loud. But the question is, who are we crying out loud to? David cried out loud to the Lord. And God answered him from his holy hill. We are already crying, friends. We might as well redirect our cries to the God who answers prayer. Where are we looking for answers? David says, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. What hill are we looking for answers from? Prayer to God is the natural and right response for Christians when they are in despair and are despondent. Yet when prayer is done right, it is informed by a knowledge of who God is and what he has done. And friends, we know that at that hill on Calvary, God secured for us a way to come to him through his son. We can cry out loud to him and he hears us. He answers us. We have the very audience of a king. Now we can clearly see from this text thus far that in the midst of our deepest despair, 
we can depend on God. David has the choice of looking at all the enemies that surround him, but he chooses to reflect and remember who his God was and what he had done. Now we begin to see some of the fruit that is as a result of this, right? We see that David begins to experience peace as he depends on the Lord. Look at verse 5 and 6. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. We experience peace as we depend on the Lord. David is in exile and he experiences peace right in the wilderness. We see that the first thing his first experience of peace is he sleeps well, right? He's in a wilderness. He cries out to the Lord. Then he goes to bed. Now, I want us to think about this. David is king, right? He's the king. He's used to sleeping in a palace. But at this moment, he's sleeping in the wilderness. Yet he sleeps through the night and wakes up. Why? He says, because the Lord sustained me. The Lord sustains him. Peace is not a result of a changed situation as much as it is a result of a changed focus. David remembers and reflects on who God is, calls out unto him, and he begins to experience peace. He knows that he has prayed. He knows that he has prayed to a God he answer, who answers prayers, and he goes to bed. He has peace. Friends, I have no idea what you are going through. I have no idea the despair and the despondency that you feel this morning. But in the midst of that despair, that despondency, you can depend on God. You can. If God is for us, who can be against us? But not only does he sleep well, he becomes fearless, right? I will not be afraid, he says in verse 6, of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David stops being afraid of the very people that he had become afraid of. Now, just to be clear, again, the threat has not been removed. There are still throngs of people that want his head, including his very own son. The storm has been raging still. And the truth is that God does not always calm the storm. But you know what he does? He calms his children in the storm. We do not fret. We are not afraid because we know the one who sustains us. We know we have a protector. We know we have a sustainer. We, we read the scriptures and see for ourselves who he is. Two American explorers were in, in a safari in southern Africa where I'm from, and as they were looking around, you know, driving, looking around, you know, they bump into this ferocious lion. You know, one of the guys just like 
wait, wait, wait. He tells his other guy to wait, wait, wait. And it reminds him and he says, remember, we read in a book that if we are still and we look the lion in the eye, he's going to run away. The other friend is like, okay, so you read the book and I read the book, but did the lion read the book? Now, this is the point. Our troubles don't read the book, but we do. We know what God says about our troubles. We know how he calls us to live in the midst of our troubles. And we believe him. Therefore, we are fearless. We read the book. We have a shield. We have the glory of the Lord. We have the lifter of our heads. We can cry out to him and he thwarts our anxieties. In the midst of our despair, we can depend on God. Lastly, we see how we can have hopeful expectations of God's deliverance. Look at verse 7 and 8 with me. David says, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. David closes this psalm with a hope-filled call unto the Lord and a declaration of his salvation for his people. We see that David confidently calls upon God's intervention, right? So in verse 1, many were rising against David. Now he uses the same word to ask God to rise up against his enemies. Many are rising against me. But now he's saying, you, Lord, rise up against my enemies. In verse 2, David's enemies had said that there would be no help for him in God. But here David uses again the same verb, to ask God to save him. He likens his enemies to deadly beasts, barring their teeth, ready to devour him. So David asks God to break their teeth, to render them powerlessly. Strike my enemies on the cheek, break the teeth of the wicked. Now, He's praying those type of prayers, those, those Lord, get them. Lord, deal with them type of prayers, right? That we see a lot of in the Psalms. Although the words sound harsh, I don't want us to miss the point. The point here is David is trusting God to take care of his enemies. And so should we. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. We don't fight the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. God does not need to take us out of our situations. And sometimes we can pray and ask that he breaks the teeth of the situation so they don't destroy us. Keep us safe, Lord. But you do it. You fight for us. But we see also how David 
in verse 8, confidently asserts God's salvation and blessing. Many are saying there's no salvation for him in God, but David chooses not to believe them. David is not depending on his troops, he's not depending on any military strategy, but he acknowledges that real victory comes from God alone. And if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, you too can confidently assert and rest in the confidence that salvation is from the Lord and that his blessing is upon you as his child. Why? Because you have put your faith and trust in God through his son. You have experienced his salvation, not only physically, but spiritually as he has saved you from your sin. So you can join David and boldly declare that salvation does indeed belong to the Lord. But if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, you too have hope to join with David and with us to experience God's deliverance, mainly for your soul, but also his protection, his sustenance, his peace, In the midst of your deepest despair, you too can depend on God. If you're not a Christian this morning, today could be the day that the Lord delivers you from your deepest source of despondency and despair. Perhaps today the Lord can deliver you from your greatest enemy, which is your sin. If you confess and trust in the salvation that comes through his son, Salvation belongs to the Lord. David's final declaration, your blessing be upon your people, shows that David is not praying selfishly. He has been anointed king of Israel by God. By God. Absalom rebels. It affects the entire nation. So when he asks God to deliver him, he sees this as a way that God will bless his people. And friends, a greater than David is here, and his name is Jesus. Through him, we have experienced deliverance and salvation. And through him, we can depend on God. What God does for David, he can do for us. In the midst of your deepest despair, you too can depend on the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. That not only are you a God who is there, but you are a God who's active in our lives. Father, you actively protect us. You actively give us a family to belong to and have an identity in. You actively restore our souls. And Father, for that we thank you. I pray this morning that you could help us all the more to trust you, to depend on you in the midst of our deepest despair. We thank you, we love you. It's through your son's name we pray these things. Amen.